My name is Terrell Stafford, and you're listening to Behind the Note by Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, welcome to episode 61 of Behind the Note Podcast. We're glad to have you today. Thank you so much for pressing play. Today's a special episode because it's part two of three. We're talking about the presidential suite, the new album by Ted Nash. Last episode, we talked with Herschel Garfine, who is a composer, a Grammy Award winning composer, librettist and a great stage director. He served as one of the producers for presidential suite, and he shared with us last time his expertise in, in his, about his career, but also he shared his perspective as a producer for this great body of work that is about to be released called Presidential Suite. Today is the second episode, and next week you'll get part three. Three different roles, three different perspectives by three masters at what they do. So I'm, I'm really happy to share this with you. Uh, Presidential Suite right now, as of this recording, is available for pre-order at tednash.com. And after September 9th, if you're hearing this after September 9th, you can buy it now. All right. We're everywhere where CDs are sold. Now, let me tell you about today's guest. Today's guest is a jazz composer and a saxophonist, and he's best known for his associations with Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra. As a band leader, he has 12 albums and many more as a sideman. I'm very happy to bring to you today, Mr. Ted Nash. Ted, welcome to Behind the No Podcast. We're glad to have you today. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'm glad to be here. So I want to start by getting to know you a little bit. Will you, tell, will you tell us how you earn a living as a musician? My main source of income right now is, is through Jazz Lincoln Center with Winston Marsalis. Uh, although I, I never really think about the income as much as I think about all the great creative stuff that we do. But I've been with the band for about 18 years and uh, have been playing in the saxophone section and doing a lot of arranging and composing for the band as well. So it's, uh, that's been sort of my main, my main thing for quite a long time. Now, today we're going to talk about your album, Presidential Suite, that's coming out. But I wanted the people to get to know you a little bit for everybody who's not familiar with you. So will you just tell us real quick how you got to uh, improve on your arranging skills, that you're doing it for the band now and, and doing it for this album that's coming out? And also, how did you prepare uh, your saxophone chops to be able to play at a high level? <laughs> oh, man, well, that's a great question. And uh you know, we're, as artists, we're constantly trying to get better, get more engaged and involved and figure out ways to express ourselves and use this amazing art form, jazz, to uh, to get to know ourselves better, to let other people know who we are, and hopefully people get to know themselves better from, from listening to us, listening to this music. Uh, basically, you know, I, I've always wanted to play jazz. I knew from an early age when I first heard Charlie Parker that, that I wanted to play. And writing came a little later. I was in the, uh, the Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra. Uh, Mel, um, you know, unfortunately passed away in 1991, but he, uh, he and Thad Jones had one of the most amazing big bands. And then Thad left the band. I joined the band in 1982 and was there for about 10 years. And I would say definitely one of my 
most important associations. And that's where I started to uh, write big band arrangements and original pieces. Uh, uh, we performed them at the Village Vanguard, and uh, we've recorded a couple of my arrangements as well. So that was sort of where I got started. And of course, being in that band in general was a, a huge inspiration to becoming better on my instrument, just because I was sitting between Dick Oates and Joe Lovano for, for 10 years and uh, hearing how great how great they are. They continue to be inspiration to me. Wow, what a section to, to sit in and to learn from. That's really incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where did the idea of the presidential suite come from? What, what inspired this album? Winton Marcellus, he came to me. He's, our, of course, our, our, uh, our band director and our artistic director and said, we'd love to commission you to write a piece of music for the band. This had happened previously. I, I did uh, something called Portrait in Seven Shades, which was based on iconic works of art. So I thought about what would inspire me, and I had been sort of kicking around this idea of transcribing speeches or their intonation and, and, and the pitches and everything. So it, this had been floating around in the back of my mind, but I became even more sort of uh, aware of the importance of, of great oration and uh, also, of course, great political speakers uh, through time. My parents, and I have to go back to my upbringing and my childhood because my parents were civil rights activists and very involved with different organizations, including the Black Panthers, that they reached out to and helped. And we had people coming to our house and my mom was very involved with different organizations. And so I think just that awareness as a, as a very young kid of human rights, civil rights, of helping other people, and the importance of of being involved in in all of this has has really helped to shape my overall feeling about about politics, about about life, about people. And I have to credit my parents for just being such warm and open people. So when I set out to write this piece, I decided to to use the theme of uh, political speeches based on on human rights and, and freedom. What was the goal for the album? Did you want people to walk away feeling a certain way or thinking about something specific? Well, you know, it's so interesting, the whole process and how it works, because for me, the initial process of just the creativity involved and the amount of time that I've invested in, in writing all this music and then getting it performed, and we premiered this piece in 2014 with Jazz and Lincoln Center, you know, you work for six months on something and then it's in two nights, you're done. Right? So you're feeling like, wow, all of this. And that's kind of what we do all the time. I mean, we, we practice, we write, we, we rehearse and we do stuff and we have a gig and, and we move on. And, but, you know, you can't hold on to it. You have to you have to keep your next thing, your next thing. But I really I love the way the band played this music and I wanted to. Uh, record it, of course, document it, archive it, whatever, and just get it out there so people could could hear it. Um, I felt very excited about that. So I, I got everybody into the studio and we recorded the music. And then working with Kabir uh, Segal, who's my um, my producer, we thought how wonderful it would be to include little recorded um, excerpts of the actual speeches that inspired these movements and have them read by wonderful people. And so now the focus for me, I mean, I just have to say that, of course, I want people to love the music and be inspired by it just on a basic musical level. But it's become bigger than that to me. It's become more politically involved. It's more about the inspiration of these speeches and especially in the climate that we're in right now, 
I think I would love people to listen to this, listen to the speeches and the music that follows and feel like, wow, there's so much that I, I personally can do to get out there and help people around the world in this country uh, be and, and have a, a stronger awareness of human rights and not get caught up in all this crap that's going on and with this, this campaign and everything like that. But really, what is, what is the true essence of what of what these speeches are and, and, and how, how can we take away from, from this recording something that will inspire us to be better people, hopefully, or to be more involved or just to be more helpful in some kind of way. I mean, that is truly my goal at this point. Will you talk about the process uh, strictly from a composer's perspective of uh, how you wrote this? So you mentioned transcribing speeches and the tone. So did you sit down in front of the television? Did you, did you get some uh, albums how, what was your process for recording? How did you make that work? Yeah, Chris, that was um, interesting because I, you know, we're always looking for for different ways to be creative and different ways to approach writing music and different inspiration, right? I mean, we can we can be inspired by so many different things and bring it to the music. And here, I as I was listening to these speeches, I was starting to become more and more aware of the actual cadence of the speeches and you know every 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 sound that is made has a pitch it doesn't matter if it's a clunk of a glass on a floor or a screaming of some brakes out in the street the bus going by someone yelling someone you know do you drop everything we hear has a tone a pitch so we're surrounded by music all the time and we cut that off a lot of times we cut off that that aspect of sound and these speeches are like melodies. They're like, they're just constant uh, streaming thematic material. And so I took the speeches that really moved me, just moved me on a very basic emotional level. And then I, uh, once I decided on the speeches, I began to transcribe them and I transcribed long portions of these speeches. I've got notebooks of notes with the words above it. And I kept listening and kept refining it. So I knew that I had all the pitches. I played with a keyboard along with the, the speeches until I was sure I had all the right pitches. Then I had my thematic material and it's like, okay, now what? I've got LBJ. I've got this, this cadence, this beautiful stuff that cannot be necessarily put into one tonal center, one key center, one set of chord changes very easily. And uh, how, do I, how do I make music out of it? First, I think about, what do I want this song to be about? This takes place, the speech takes place in the mid 60s. And LBJ is from Texas. So I think, okay, I'm going to make some reference to sort of like the cowboy music from Texas. And that's sort of my personal tongue in cheek thing. But it's then what happens is we, we get to like a free jazz, Ornette Coleman sort of vibe, like a, like a cordless swing, long form melody that, that for me is like the mid 60s and the expressive sort of free jazz that was happening back then. So that's the context that I decided to put um, to put that in. So each movement has a completely different context uh, and inspiration based on the time of the of the speech, the the country that it was in which it was made, et cetera, et cetera. So it really was a, um, a challenge. In some cases, it was almost almost impossible for me to really get it. So I felt satisfied with the overall. Um, uh, you know, art, artistic uh, context, but then, but then, as I worked on it, I, I, I found everything that I needed to find. It was, it was quite a challenge. And I'm, I'm trying to get a visual of you at work. So, 
Uh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you? Were you able to get these on your on your phone, on your iPod, for example, or were you sitting down in front of a video and pausing the video? How did you? How did you do? Yeah. That? Yeah, man. I, I uh, most of this I did while I was on tour. We were Jasmine and Santa. We were out on the road, and we had our tour buses, and um, the, we have you know electric outlets and stuff. So I, I had my laptop hooked up. With uh, YouTube, uh, I had my keyboard in my lap. Uh, I had a notebook with with my pencil. So I'm watching these videos. Got the earphones on. I'm listening to them. And I'm writing stuff down. I've got the keyboard. I'm double checking stuff. This is like hours. Like we might be driving for uh, four, five, six hours, and I'm just you know I spend a good portion of of that drive transcribing and and filling this notebook full of stuff and it was just raw material so i just i, I didn't even know what i was going to do with it but yeah headphones uh, laptop keyboard in my lap and uh that's that's that was my posture and my position for you know many many days and i always wondered about how you and other guys in the band uh, that tour all the time are able to continue to make such great work because you're always traveling so that very that really helps well you know that's the thing it's it's like wherever wherever you are that's your home that's that's your place it used to feel to me like when i was touring because i wouldn't tour that much it wasn't a huge part of my of my year it might have been a handful of weeks over over the period of the year now it's you know a few months out of the year so once i understood that being on the road was not an interruption of my life it was part of my life i had to be able to do everything that i need to do when i'm on the road and that's that includes anything from composing music to paying bills to, to keeping in touch with people all the stuff you have to you have to do while you're on the road it's it can be challenging some people don't like it some people are road rats and that, that they'd rather not even come home you know so everybody has a different sort of feeling about being on the road and i think that it took me a little while to actually get to the point where being on the road was not an interruption of something, but it was actually was actually my lifestyle, and I could do everything I needed to do. I mean, you should, you should see the bus sometimes, man. We got like five people sitting around with with their, their laptops out and their finale scores, and their Sibelius scores open, and writing stuff and arrangements. We're all doing. We got eleven people in the Jazz and Center Orchestra writing arrangements for the band. Um, uh, you know, and, and and it's just I've never been in a band that had that many uh, rangers and writers in it, so it's been a real privilege to be to be in, in this band. Yeah, normally it's one, maybe two people at most that arrange. Yeah. in the band. Yeah, yeah, basically. As musicians, we know that putting the right people in the band is essential to getting the desired result, the sound you, the sound that you envision. Yeah. So I wanted to ask when you put this band together. What were you going for in terms of the personality of the band and the individual players and the sound of the group? I don't know if you used uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center band or if you put a different group together for the presidential suite. Yeah, I mean, I had, this is my third big band record. The previous uh, record I put out called Chakra was uh, a band I put together from from scratch, and it wasn't related at all to Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra. This record, because we premiered this at Jazz at Lincoln Center and used um, most of the most of the musicians from the orchestra. I decided it would be best to 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 repeat that and have the same group in the studio. Plus, you know, these are these are people I know how these people play. This is one of the things about being in a band and being 
a regular member of a band and getting to know everybody so intimately is that you, you know how to write for them. I know that if I'm going to write a, a plunger trumpet solo, it, you know, that, that, you know, Ryan Kaiser is going to play it a certain way. Uh, Winston will play it a different way. If I want to have like some, some high smooth trombone, I'll choose one cat over someone else. If I want some blues, I'll put someone else on it. So it's, you know, we, we know each other so well. And for me, for this for presidential suite, it was just, it was really important that, all the ideas, all the voices, all the little expressions and things that I wanted to convey in this piece be dealt with on a, not only on a global level, and in other words, the, the band and the sound, the overall sound of the big band, but on a very individual, local level, like at each chair. So uh, for me, uh, it was even important to not sit in the band in the studio. So I, I conducted, had a, a, one of my favorite uh, saxophone players from my generation, uh, Charles Pillow, he came in and played uh, the chair that I normally occupy, and he's a great musician. So I was able to hear the band out front and really focus on everybody. And uh, so I used the uh, members of the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra for this piece. And it's, I can't even imagine uh, having a better group of musicians to play anything, let alone the music that I'm writing for them, knowing them so intimately. So I, this, when I listen to the music, it's like these people came together. It almost makes you full. It almost makes you tear up a little bit when you think about how great these musicians are and how they'll dedicate uh, all these hours to to playing their best and bringing their their insight to your music and making this this product and and uh, this artistic statement. And uh, so I'm I'm just blessed to have such great musicians on this recording. Now, how do you go about? How did you go about? approaching the guest for this project. I know you had some guests read the speeches like Deepak Chopra and, and others. How, how did you get them on board? Kabir and I, we know, we know people through, through our dealings and through our stuff. And as we started to mention the project to people, I mean, Kabir would come to me and say, man, I, I was talking about your project because, you know, we'd already recorded the music and he was very involved. And he said, this person really would love to to be involved. And so we were thinking, you know, maybe he could read this speech. And we, we found people who had, you know, that, that reached that Kabir knew and really reached out and, and had some personal association with the speech. Like Kabir knew Joe Lieberman for quite a long time. And he, he wanted to read a JFK speech because this, this uh, inauguration, this first inauguration of Kennedy was the main reason that Joe Lieberman became a, a public servant. I mean, it's, it, it was a, the main inspiration for him to become a politician. And so these kind of connections were really amazing. I knew Glenn Close from, from stuff that she did with Jazz with the Concentra a while back. And I, I hung out with her and she was totally on board to be part of this, wanted to, wanted to contribute something to it. So uh, very lucky that we have such wonderful guests. Um, who have a specific connection to the project and also could bring something so so important to it. So it, it sounds like that just over time that you've met people and when the time came up in this instance that you were able to say, hey, I think this person will be good for this part and then they were willing to work with you. Is, is that correct? I mean, yeah, basically, as we, as we, because you know, when you talk, when you talk about something, like you, you talk about your with your your friends or your associates, colleagues, people about a project, and they see your passion, like they see how passionate you are about it, and that's how Kabir would be talking about this project. I mean, he came to me, and he was very passionate from the beginning about wanting to do something with me, and and so when you start to share that passion with other people, they they want to be 
part of that as well. So um, it's it's primarily just just sharing sharing with people what you're working on, and people are like, you know, we. I mean, it happened with Kabir when he was meeting with some people, some some movie industry people, and they're like, "Wow, this sounds wonderful. I'd love to get involved somehow." Um, and uh, some people did, and some um, some didn't. And um, everybody who came involved with this, I mean, brought we had such a strong connection to each of these speeches in some kind of way. Like David Miliband, I mean, he is the ex foreign minister of, uh, of the UK, and and uh, of course. Churchill's like a, a hero to, to people there, and uh, and Joe Temperley, who uh, who passed away recently, one of the greatest baritone saxophone players of all time, who was a regular member of Jazz Lincoln Center. I asked him. I said, you know, I'm thinking about doing this project with all these speeches. He goes, Oh, you got to have Churchill. You got to have Churchill. He was a great speaker. So it's like those kind of things too. How people will share their you know, their interest in, in something like that, because Joe Templey grew up in the UK, so Churchill's like a hero. And uh, I love all these things that come together. I love all these little pieces that come together and all these connections. It, it's what makes this project so strong is all these connections, all these things and the people we meet and how people got involved with it and how they wanted to be part of it. Um, it's, it's, it's a bigger, it's a much bigger thing than um, I have ever done. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. So I have one more question about relationships. This is something we always talk about on this show. Uh, you worked with Herschel Garfine on this project. We talked to him last episode. Tell us, tell us who Herschel is and how do you end up? How did you team up with him? And like, how and why do you guys work well together for this project? Well, Herschel came aboard after we recorded the music, and uh, you know, was, um, he knew uh, Kabir Sagal, my executive producer. And uh, Kabir felt that Herschel's, uh, first of all, Herschel is a, is a composer. He is, um, he's an artist who has, who has a great deal of experience in composing music, of putting together stuff. But he has also this incredible uh, acumen for, for projects and for shaping things. And he, when he, he heard the music, he told you know, Kabir, I, I want to be, I would love to be involved with this and help in whatever way I can. And, so he became one of the producers and helped us uh, shape the all the post-recording aspects of this. I mean, in terms of everything from design to to track order to helping me with some of the names of the pieces too, because I was back and forth about how I was going to title them and stuff. And just he had a, he has an incredible vision for um, for the ultimate statement and. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm really, I've been just so thrilled to work with him. We've, we've gone to events together. We meet with people. We have, uh, I just like his whole vibe, man. He's like a very, very cool, very cool dude and very, very intelligent and very insightful too. So it's just been really great to have him part of the project. I also picked up on what, on what you described on during our talk. And uh, yeah, he's a great man. Thankful to get to meet him. Yeah. It sounds like I need to talk to Kabir. He's uh pretty instrumental in this. It sounds like. Well, I'll tell you about Kabir. He's he's a kind of a Renaissance man, and he uh, he loves music. He's a bass player that that I first heard back fifteen years of fourteen years ago or something when he was in high school, and he played at Jazz and Lincoln Center's uh, music festival competition called Essentially Ellington, and he was part of a band that came from Atlanta to compete. And uh, he was swinging, young high school kid, and he went to Dartmouth. And uh, you know, as the 
Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra toured, we'd run into him either in New Hampshire or in Georgia or wherever he was. And he, he became um, pretty close to, with Winton and even wrote a book uh, about jazz and uh, has uh, always been extremely interested in our music. And so when he, he heard the band play in Atlanta a few years ago, and I did an arrangement of a Chick Corea tune called Windows, and he just he wrote me afterwards and said that, that he loved the arrangement so much and just wanted to get to get with me. And is there anything that he could do to help me? And you know, in terms of producing and putting together something. And this was a this project, the Presidential Suite, was something that was floating around in the back of my mind as far as the recording. So it was just perfect timing. It's just these kind of things that happen. It's just uh, I love it. It's part of what I love about life is these synchronicities and the people that you meet at the right time and Kabir is a very uh, very hardworking, diligent and intelligent person and I've, I've really been so happy to work with him so I hope you get a chance to, to speak with him at some point What are some of your habits that are responsible for your success today both musical habits and personal habits I think as we as we get older we develop our a personal way of approaching our artistic expression and, and for me a lot of that comes from being fully involved with something and you to do anything well, not just practice, but it's being fully engaged in something. And I think that we're at a point right now, people are constantly on their phones, constantly texting, constantly, people find so much to keep them away from learning about themselves, about, about uh, expressing themselves truly, figuring out ways that they can um, contribute to our society, contribute to the, the beauty of, of what we experience out here. I mean, a lot of people can balance all of that, but I think that just, you know, it's important that we, we set down all these devices and just think about what we can do. And uh, for me, I have to, I, I love to just be fully involved with something, whether it's being creative, whether it's the business side of things, but to try to embrace things fully. Uh, I get a lot of pleasure out of, of of doing things fully and doing things well, and I've I've uh, I've been trying to trying to apply that to everything I do, whether it's improvising in a solo, writing a piece of music, an arrangement, or just thinking more more globally about things. Um, you know, we're all we're all out here together in this world, and whatever we can do to to make it a more interesting place, a more beautiful place safer place. I, I think that we need to all remind ourselves of that as often as we can. What advice would you give a young musician that has decided they want to be a professional musician and they're going all in? I'm asking this question assuming that this person has the chops to, to, to make it. So what would you tell them they need to do? Well, that's one of, first of all, that's the hugest hurdle for someone to decide I'm going to be a musician because, you know, I, I teach, I just finished a two week summer camp at the Bard college it was, uh, uh, hosted by jazz Lincoln center. And we, these are some of the most talented young kids coming up. And I asked them, how many of you are going to be, want to be professional musicians? You know, you could see the hesitancy with the hands raising and some are like, yes, some are no, some are maybe. And I think the first hurdle is to understand that it is, it is what you, want to do. And I think what pro the problem is, is that people are afraid to commit to something that could possibly be a difficult path. It could possibly be not the path that they expect it to be in terms of being able to 
to be creative and, and, and be able to make a living and, and all of this. I feel like my kind of green ignorance and uh, uh, I, I wouldn't even say that. It's just like I, I never even considered doing anything else as a teenager. It's like once I understood that I loved music, that's what I'm going to do. I didn't second guess it. I think that's sort of uh, a real advantage. I had parents who were supportive, so it wasn't like I had a mom and dad saying, Man, well, you got to think about a real job. You know, you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor, architect, something. Think about something, and you know, whatever. No, I mean, they they understood. They understood that that I had this thing. I had the bug, and uh, they just I wanted to move to New York at 18. They said, "Go, fine. You know, this is this is great." So, um, I the main thing is before I mean, I'm, I, before answering your question is do these people actually have what it takes to commit themselves to this lifestyle and this, this life. And, um, that's the main thing. It's like, they, they have to be sure they have to be sure because if you go into this halfway, you will, you'll be halfway with it. That's, that's the main thing. But then once people are like, I want to do this, you know, like, um, young Saxon player, Ben Fitzpatrick, he's going from high school to to college. He's going to study with Jimmy green up at the university of Connecticut. And he was, he's extremely talented. Also, what makes him improve as a musician so much more than some of the other kids that I've seen over the last couple of years is his absolute burning desire to do this. There's no question. This is what he wants to do. And I recognize that. I recognize it. And his questions are like, what, what can I do? And I'm like, well, you're doing it. You're, first of all, your commitment is so important. Our commitment as artists to this is extremely important. And to trust our, our vision, you have to trust, you have to trust yourself so much. Uh, the, the trust factor is extremely important. You have to believe that this is going to be okay. It's like trusting something. It's faith. Faith. I've, I, you know, I talk about, I think about faith. Faith is trust. Faith is believing that you're making the right decision. And a lot of people don't have faith. And I think that we can find faith in, in the music because it's, it's like, it's my religion, man. It really is. And so I can be, I can be the preacher to a young musician and I can say, believe, believe, believe. But uh, that, that's the main thing is you have to be a hundred percent committed to it. No 92%, no 98%. You have to be hundred percent committed to it. Um, if you have the talent, then you, then you have to then you have to figure out how to bring your voice to this music because you can't come out there and just sound like anybody else or everybody else. You eventually have to find out who you are and how to bring your talent and your vision and all that to 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 being who you are and present that to people. And then and then the more individual that you can be and the more voice of your personal voice that you can bring to this music, the more likely you will carve out your own niche and your own pathway in your own career. And uh, I truly believe that, that most people can do this if they, if they have that kind of faith. That is beautiful. I love what you said about trust and believing and faith. And one thing I like is that as you're walking it out, being a musician, that is, you are literally walking in faith. I like to think that way anyway, because a yeah, lot of times yeah. we don't know when or where the next the next opportunity will be, but you'll never know unless you're walking in it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Chris. it's, it's, you can't be, I mean, yes, I, I sold a saxophone once because I needed to pay my, 
my mortgage. You know, it, it, it will happen. It will happen. You'll have some points where it's not, you know, it's tight, but my faith always carried me through. And uh, I'm, I'm really <laughs> so blessed to be a musician. I can't, I can't recommend it more highly. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ted. We're so glad to have you. I want to remind people that the Presidential Suite is the next album release on Motima Records, and it's available September 9th. It's available for pre-order if you're hearing this before September 9th. And if it's after September 9th, go ahead and download it. Yeah, yeah. And, and please, I mean, iTunes, great. Amazon, get the CD itself. It's a two-CD disc set because it's got one record with just the music and one has all the speeches and the music either way and it's got a it has a 40 page a booklet with really beautiful liner notes by kabir uh and uh, he's a best-selling author and also uh douglas brinkley the cnn um political historian who wrote the uh 25 books on, on, on on different subjects of politics so it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful package, and uh, I recommend that everybody picks up the hard copy. I know these days everybody likes to go digital and all that, but this has a lot to hold, a lot of stuff to read and, and really get involved with the speeches and, and, and all that. So I, I recommend the, uh, the hard copy very, very highly. All right, and I'm personally going to get that hard copy. Thanks again, Ted. I appreciate you today. Thanks, Chris. All right, man. And that's our talk today with Ted Nash. Thanks a lot, Ted, for joining us. We're happy to talk with you and learn from you today. At this point in the show, I like to recap. And at the end there, we got to talk a little bit about faith and going all in and not knowing uh, your, your potential unless you're walking, walking the walk of faith. But I want to go back to the center of the, of the show here where Ted talked about his workflow, how he was physically writing presidential suite. He said something, uh, something like, where you are, that is your home. And that triggered a memory for me. My grandmother said something similar. She said, wherever you are, there you are. And that's profound. You know, because you would say, well, of course, that wherever I am, of course, that's where I am. Where else would I be? But, you know, today we're uh, distracted. We're distracted. My grandmother had dementia and she eventually passed from that but she did not know what facebook was she didn't know about uh, smartphones all that stuff came later so and it's still true what she said wherever you are there you are so that tells me one thing that it tells me is to be present right now be present so put your distractions away your your cell phone and facebook most of the time you're not doing anything important while you're on those things secondly no excuses for why you're not where you think you should be you have to put your head down and do the work that's what i love about what ted has done because of the nature of his work he's traveling a lot and it would be very easy to use the excuse of i'm always on the road there's no time to write but that's not true and he's a great example of this he, he works while he's traveling because where he is is his home. I love it. There are no excuses. And he's given us a great example. You must 
tier presidential suite. It is incredible. Get your copy now. You can pre-order it. Uh, TedNash.com. You can pre-order it if it's before September 9th. And after that date, it's available everywhere albums are sold. That's all for today. In the next episode, we have a special guest, Wall Street and New York Times best-selling author, Kabir Siegel. And why do we have an author from Behind the Note podcast? This is a music podcast where you want to tune in to find out. That's all for today. God bless you. See you in the next show.